0: Roll out the carpet and bring on the Mountaineers. <laughs> it didn't work so well today, right? I'll tell you, it's always when that 30-second clip comes on. That's when I feel like it's kind of like, I don't know if it does anything for anybody else, but I kind of feel like that's my my uh, my walk-up music. My <laughs> anyway. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> Chappie, Chap's Fantasy Chat, Thursday nights at eight. Find me on iLogic Media. Find me on Draft for Upside. Like and share if you like the content. Um, You know, it's funny. Some shows are easier than others. Um, On the surface, this is an easy show to do because currently I'm in the middle of two drafts. I just finished up an auction earlier on this week. Um, And, you know, it kind of all jumbles, to tell you the truth. But so, you know, we haven't gotten through all of the – all of the the positions so tonight I want to talk about outfield, um, but I did a little differently this week than I have in the past um, and, and what I chose to do this week is basically talk about some dilemmas, some real time draft scenarios that um, that I, that I ran across just in those last couple of days and, and talk about some of the players I chose and why I chose them we 're not going to talk about you know your traditional one two three four five six we 're going to talk about some of that right but we're going to talk more about how you come to these conclusions and and, and why I landed where I landed. So, so again, like I said, um, this is my favorite time of year. I love coming out and, and talking about real time as we're going through draft strategy, um, what the thought process is right, wrong, or indifferent, right? You know, it, It just goes to show you, though, sometimes all you have to do is really just think outside of the box and it sets you apart from everyone else. And I'll give you a little instance of what happened to me in my second draft this week my buddy dave is uh, is running this draft and they're doing it all offline and you know he does a great job he always does and i actually i think it's kind of funny that he does this um he he puts this list out he makes this beautiful spreadsheet puts all kinds of time and effort into it it's really a grade a class class one job um but then he he doesn't put out your um traditional rankings let's just put it that way it, There, there's some rigidity to it but um it, it's I don't know where he gets the list but so in in this first draft I'm in you have and, and it's a perfect example I say this almost every week um you have these guys that are just going off of a checklist they're not doing any research behind it um and and it shows it shows so so in in this first draft Again, my buddy Dave puts puts this spreadsheet together. Does a great job. And it, it, it just round after round. These people are going off of this basically dummy sheet. It's so I guess it's a dynasty rankings. Um, but but there's instances where like you know I got um, I, just ridiculous value on guys like Moustakas and um, I. I Bear with me here. Mustakas and Gallo and, you know, just guys that should be going a heck of a lot higher than they what they would have because people are just going and blindly checking off this list that isn't accurate. OK, uh, but but I feel like at this point, even with that, people start to trend. Oh, something's going on here. You know, let me get let me look and see. Let me, let me go and look at this other publication. So. <clears throat> It's really important that you know, going into the draft, what you're working off of. Get a, get a consistency going where you can really start to um, identify value, okay? And in my draft, in my home draft, it, it's been a really – I'll tell you, it's quite the opposite. Rather than getting values, I feel like I'm – because I'm at the turn in that draft. I feel like I'm having to um, reach a lot. And it's because I'm at the turn, right? So when you're at the turn, you know you're not picking a gift for 24, 26, whatever it is, However, you know, um, picks. So you kind of have to get your front end and your back end of that. So it's been an interesting um, back and forth into how I'm approaching it. On one draft, I'm getting all these values and, you know, really happy about where I'm at with it. It's just about building the right lineup. On this other end, it's – almost like you're trying to avoid reaching too much. You're trying to figure out who's going to come back to you with 24 picks. So it's been an interesting contrast putting these two together. I'm not going to go on and on about that, but I I, I do think it bears just making a mention about where you are, who you're drafting with, and, and what your draft strategy should be based on those things, right? Um, so... <clears throat> you know I, I, that leaves me in my first dilemma and, and you know in, in my home draft i was fortunate enough to get a random draw of the first overall pick and normally i don't like drafting first i, I would rather draft 12 that's just me um and, and i entertain the the idea of of trading the pick uh, but the more I started to think about it, the the value at the top end of this year's draft, in particular, is so distanced from that second tier. And I'm not, I'm not talking about a bunch of players. I'm talking about four players that you're. If you don't pick, so if you don't trade back into that top four, you almost have to take that first pick. Because the good thing about that is you get to take who you really feel is the best overall player. It doesn't matter if it's Tatis or if it's Acuna or if it's Soto or if it's Betts. Whoever you value most out of that group, you get the cho- the choice of. You don't have to. Oh, I love Betts, but he wasn't available, so I had a guy. I, that's the only scenario where you're ending up with a guy you want. So I'm sitting here all week long. I'm in this dilemma. Acuna or Soto, those are the two that I landed on. Those are the two that I really had, uh, I, no exaggeration, sleepless nights um, going back and forth on. And, and, you know, both of these guys are, are special in that. And, and honestly, Tatis too. Tatis as well. Um, and that they're young. And that there's still room to grow for these for these three players. And... <clears throat> They've shown a good amount of consistency early on um, in their careers to give you that confidence in taking them this high. It kind of separates themselves from guys like, you know, um, Trey Turner or Trevor Story or, you know, even – I I, I, I don't necessarily want to take a pitcher um, in my first round. That's just me. Um, so I, I like to have that prolific bat. So so I keep going back back and forth on Acuna, and so and I, I start thinking about it. And really, when it comes down to it, we'll we'll kind of talk about if this. You know, just as soon as, as as far back as last year, we're looking at it's Mike Trout and everybody else, right? It's changed sharply this year. It's changed Acuna. At 23 years old, um, it's pretty special, you know. You think about the, the 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 pros for drafting Ronald Acuna. There's so many of them, right? You're talking about um, a guy who has potential 50 50, a true potential 50 50. He's he's voiced he's voiced the the want and desire to do it to steal all those bases he's voiced the want and desire to um to break records to be that generational type player that you know often takes away from some some players skill sets because they can't handle the pressure akuna seems to like it he's shown us some of what he can do he's already broken records he's already um put himself on pace for, you know, really big things in, in his in his career, even at this young age of 23 years old. What are some of the things I'm talking about? Um, you know, first off, let's go back to 2019. And, and, and I'm not going to bring up a whole lot of last year. In Acuna's case, I try and avoid it. I usually try and, you know, Smoosh those two together because 60 games just isn't a full year. Um, and, and a lot of these guys, when when you look back on it, and they they, they had COVID and, and you know, kind of kept it to themselves. So, Akuna isn't one of those cases that I know of. Um, but, but you look back to his 2019 season, we're, we're 41 homers and 37 stolen bases as a 21 year old. Um, a 280 average a 365 obp this is an obp league that i'm in by the way obp in total basis. it's a 6 by 6 not average so again 293 is a rookie um you you, you look at you look at where he could go this year the the want and the need for him to um really create a lot of his own offense. Not that the uh, the, the Braves are going to need it. They they certainly have plenty of other weapons. Um but but I feel like this is the year that they kind of have to let him be the catalyst that he is naturally in that offense. So so for me, the 41 37 that he put up back in 2019 seems to be a bit of a floor. And you know, again, I, I just have a hard time believing that a guy that has a desire to break these records, to do these things, isn't going to be, if he's totally healthy, putting himself in a position to rack up stats. Those are clearly important to him. And that's what you want out of, out of your your number one overall pick. Uh, the, the thing about Acuna for me is, One of the things about Akuma, the runs. So you look back, again, as a 21-year-old, he's scored 127 runs. Now, I talk a lot about runs when it comes to creating a strategy for your draft. It's kind of one of those forgotten stats in that everybody gets all worked up. Everybody gets all worked up with home runs and RBIs. They kind of forget the stolen bases and the runs a lot of the times. At 127 runs as a 21 year old, in an offense that's improved, right? Uh, Austin Riley is older, uh, more mature. Ozzy Albies is older, older and more mature. Travis Darnaud had a great season last year. Freddie Freeman, um, the NL MVP. Uh, You have uh, Marcelo Zuna just coming back for his second year in Atlanta. Um, Didn't get the full year of that with him and Acuna last year. So there's some things there where there's room to grow for Acuna. I I feel like, to me, so going back to 2000, Jeff Bagwell scored 150 runs. That's a lot of runs, guys. I feel like, I feel like it's not out of the realm of possibility for Acuna to approach that this year. And that's important. That's the part that I struggled with. Because the next guy, you know, I'm getting ready to talk about Soto. And you guys see what I'm wearing. I think you know where I'm going with this, right? The the big pro for Acuna is the run stolen base attribute. And those are big. Because you can get those later. But you can't get them with the homers and the runs and the average as well. That's where the falloff is. So in Acuna, we're talking about a 50-50 potential guy. We're talking about a high average, 270, 280, maybe 290 or 300. We're talking about a relatively high OBP, not outstanding by any stretch of the imagination. But you would have to think as he matures as a hitter, he's going to start getting more and more of the Barry Bonds treatment. Um, I, I feel like it's Acuna's job. Once he gets on base, if if he's if he's intentionally walked or if he's pitched around, he needs to turn that into a double. That needs to be his MO because they are gonna start pitching around him. He walked 76 times as a in 2019, walked 38 last year. Um 406 OBP last year was pretty darn good. Pretty good. So we'll see how he builds on that. That's the big question mark though. Um, especially when comparing the two, the other guy in this equation for me, Juan Soto. Again, kind of seems he seems like a ten-year veteran, doesn't he? Uh, he feel he feels like he's been around forever. Guys, he's twenty-one. He's 21 years old. And you know, while it's nice he can go to the to the club bar after the game now. I think the more important thing is he hits like a 29 30 year old in his approach. And you know, He's starting to get pitched around because he's so dangerous. We're talking about a guy, 14 doubles, 13 home runs in 47 games last year. 32 and 34 as a 20-year-old in 2019. The thing, though, to mind with Juan Soto, I talked about Acuna. Acuna was walked 76 times in 2019. Seems like a lot. I don't know. I don't track walks. Some might think I do. I don't. Soto walked 108 times in 2019. Soto led the league last year in batting average. On-base percentage, slugging, OPS, and OPS+. Now, you're going to ask me, what do all those acronyms mean? <clears throat> Pretty good indicators. What I know is, for this ex- experiment, yes, we all know what slugging Slugging is when people are on base. Um, OPS is the combine of slug and OBP. I don't care about that stuff. All I'm saying is. He's a generational type talent as a 21 year old right now. And as he gets a little older. Those doubles are going to start going out of the park more. So his. 34 homers in 2019 as a 20 year old. His. His. 13 homers as a 21-year-old, so 13 times 3 is 39 homers pro-rated out, are only going to grow because those 32 doubles, those 14 doubles, are going to turn into home runs as he gets stronger. I mentioned Barry Bonds. I know that's lofty. At least initially, it seems lofty. But I think it all kind of brings, for me, for some, fond memories back to just how good that guy was at his craft. We're talking about a guy that would see one pitch a game and he put it in McCovey Cove consistently. The only guy that I know of get intentionally walked with the bases loaded. And it happened multiple times. This is the type of talent we're talking about with Juan Soto. Now, I know what you're saying. You're like, all right, Chappie, you're just getting ahead of yourself, right? Maybe so, probably not. Go and look at his OBP from last year, his on base percentage. Last year as a 21-year-old, was the best OBP by any player since 2004. Any guess who that player was? You named it. Barry Bonds. And, you know, the thing about it is, it's not just OBP. That's when I started digging into this. It really opened my eyes. Last year, Soto's slug percent was 694. No other player had a higher slug percent since 2004. Barry Bonds. Again, to be clear, he led the league in batting average, on-base percentage, slugging, OPS, and OPS plus. Excuse me. The drawback for Soto is the stolen bases. He says he wants to run more. He has the ability to run more. He had six last year. He had 12 in 2019. So we're looking at maybe 15 stolen bases. But in the grand scheme of things, when it came down to it, and again, this is a keeper league. It quickly became a no brainer that I had to keep set up. And it's going to look weird some nights. There's going to be nights where he's 0 for 2 with three walks and two runs. But that's okay because there's going to be nights where he's 3 for 3 with three homers and six RBIs, too. Um, how much soto how much power is in Soto's bat? Um again to to me I, I feel like fifty is pretty reasonable soon, maybe this year. I, I think a key to that 50 is Josh Bell doing well. Is Kyle Shorber, Shorber doing well? Is Victor Robles? Picking up the pace. The guys around him, supporting him, and making pitchers pitch to him is going to be key. If he doesn't get pitched to, it's going to be really hard to hit 50 homers. Heck, it's going to be hard to hit 40 homers. The thing about Soto that separates him, for me, from Acuna... Is his discipline at the plate, and you'll see this because I'm going to go down through here. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about, you know, basically the guys I picked and, and why they project well and why I chose them. Um, but I, I just don't see a drop off coming from Soto in terms of, you know, he just doesn't get razzled at the plate. He just doesn't swing at bad pitches. And for a 21-year-old to do that, um, it really speaks volumes to his his mental approach to the game. And those are the types of things that we really want to identify as we're going down through these lists. It's important because this year, more than any other year, these ADPs are all over the place so many guys are undervalued because they had a bad year last year they they, there's no context as to what happened to them off the field or um you know all that sort of thing it's it's one of those things where it's really short-sighted the way this has been so so there's opportunity within these within these rankings so so what i did is i kind of went down through here um and separated you know the elites the potential elites the all-stars sleeper values i i felt like that was more Value added than just going down through a list. I I, I gotta tell you guys, I, I felt like I had to talk about because I chose him in my first draft of the week. I picked fourth, and I chose Mookie Betts happily. You, you, you gotta love what he did last year. In his first year, changing leagues, changing coasts, changing teams, joining another MVP. That's big. And and quite honestly, outperforming Bellinger all year long. Betts is a career 301 hitter. Won the MVP in 2018. Has twice finished runner-up. Um... In 2016 and then again last year in his first year in the Dodger uniform. He's averaging 30 homers and 26 stolen bases per 162 games. He has career totals of 155 and 136 homers and stolen bases. Which puts him on a pretty good pace. For a pretty elusive 300-300 club. Only eight players in MLB history have accomplished that feat. Bonds, A-Rod, Willie Mays, Andre Dawson, Carlos Beltran, Bobby Bonds, Reggie Sanders, and Steve Finley. That's it. They've been playing baseball for what, 130 years, 104, whatever. Eight players have done that. Betts could get there. Pretty, the stolen bases he's going to have to pick up a little bit because he's getting older. The home runs he gets easily. Betts was on pace for 48 homers last year, And 30 stolen bases. Short season, stolen of that. I'm not saying he gets 48 and 30. I don't see why he couldn't get 40 and 25. That's a unique skill set that not a whole lot of other fantasy baseball players bring. I have Betts as my number three, right behind Acuna, well, Soto and Acuna. I have Betts above uh, Tatis, personally. I I just feel like with him him hitting at the top of that, (laughs) (coughs) with him hitting at the top of that order, it's going to be really tough, again, from the runs and stolen bases perspective, for him not to gain that value. You know, Mike Trout's interesting. Currently, have him as my hold on my fourth outfielder. Average ADP is right under five. Um, but here's a guy who last year was undoubtedly the number one fantasy pick in the sports. It wasn't that he regressed. It was more that these other guys kind of graduated in front of him. And in all honesty, the reason why I put bets in front of Trout is the stolen base factor. Clearly, um, if you look at what Mike Trout's done these last couple of years, he's quit running. And to me, his other numbers are great. I mean, it's not like he's he's slipped in production whatsoever. Um, but there's a big difference between his 2018 numbers and his 2020 numbers. Now, I know, you know, why run in a season where it's shortened and there's all these wonky things going on, people are going out sick, games you're getting called off. I, I get that part of it. But he only had 11 in 2019. That's a sh- that's a sharp drop-off. 39 and 24 look a heck of a lot different than 45 and 11 when you're trying to build up all of your categories. I feel like as child gets older, he becomes more of a prolific power hitter. And less of a base stealing threat. And the evidence is right in front of us, guys. Yeah, sure, he might run a bunch this year. It could happen. He's not lost the speed. But when you're making half a gazillion dollars, or whatever, 300 and whatever million dollars, why run? Why put yourself in that position? So, that's why I I personally have bumped Trout down. He's still in that top tier. Right? I talk about tiers all the time. He's just the last guy in that tier. And and in all honesty, I have Tatis over Trout in the overall scheme of things. I don't have – I have Trout before the pitchers. Christian Yelich. A little grain of salt here, right? 29 years old, one year after leading the league in just like Soto batting average, slug, OPS, and OPS plus for two years 2018 and 2019. Yellows crashed a burn last year. Career low in batting average and OPP. Um, my take on Yelich, you have to start looking at value. Yes, Soto number one. Absolutely. Gabe, welcome. I, I, you have to think about Yelich and the again. The deciding factors on this is the stolen base you know it's more of an anomaly. you're talking about a guy who was a consensus top five pick last year. you're not getting him at the end of the first round. you might in some instances be able to get him a little later than that. I doubt it just because the potential there for him you know he's hitting in a great park probably the best park outside of um the best park outside of Colorado. He's got a pretty darn good offense around him. Pretty strong track record. I'm just willing to give this guy a pass on what he did last year. He's three for nine this spring with a double and a homer already. He's worth the risk, guys. 29 years old. I like Bellinger. I'll tell you, just like with Yelich, kind of inconsistent. His is more of an up and down, whereas Yelich has been pretty consistent at the top and then went down. Um, You know, with Bellinger, he is always working on his approach. It's not always been successful. He's always put up homers. He's always put up the counting stats, right? But the average is a concern. If you're talking about a guy that's going to hit you 238, like he did in 2020, he could have the best power and speed numbers in the league. He's still killing you in that category. Now, If you want to talk about the, whatever, 305, I think it is. I got to look it up. That he hit in 2019. Then you're talking about a 305. He hit in 2019. Then you're talking about a first-round pick. Then you're talking about a guy who's worth that eighth or ninth pick. But as it stands now, I'm having a hard time justifying a first round pick on a guy who, quite frankly, has been inconsistent. Um, I don't see any spring training stats for for Bellinger. I don't know that he's not playing. I just don't have it up on Baseball Reference, which is unusual. I feel like with Bellinger, the the fact that he's always working on his approach, he's kind of an even odd type of guy with his average. I feel like he's going to have a really good hitting year. Therefore, I'm willing to take a touch of a risk at the end of the first round on a guy like Bellinger. All right. Now it's that time. It's that time to start talking about guys I really like. (laughs) Chaps Fantasy Chat, Thursday nights at 8, iLogic Media, draft for Upside, come back at 10, Randall and I are going to talk a lot of college basketball, but we're going to break down these drafts, what we've been doing, the approach, we're going to talk a little bit about rookies and prospects, Um, you know, and of course we're going to talk a lot about March Madness, got a lot going on here, like I said earlier, the Mountaineers, tough loss today. Not going to be down, not going to gripe about it. Um, you know, apparently some of the guys on the team are sick. Uh, so it might be the best thing for them to get, not COVID sick, flu sick, to get some rest going into the tournament. So join join us at 10. We're going to talk a lot about that, okay? Um, I, I, wanted to, I feel like this next group of guys, and I'm not going right, like I said, I'm not going right off a list. I got four guys here I want to talk about uh, because I feel like they're important. Kyle Tucker, <clears throat> Ted Tucker, I love that nickname. It's I, it. It's so like, it, it's such a baseball nickname, right? Because it was given to him by when he came up as a rookie, it was given to him because he was given a comp coming out of college of Ted Flippin' Williams. How do you live up to the best hitter in baseball, right? I mean, come on, man. So all of this, you know, Houston, they've got a lot of veteran presence, right? They give him this name of Ted Tucker, you know, with the thought process in mind that he was, you know, comped out to to Ted Williams. Well, that's to me, I got to be honest with you. I I don't think he's as good of a power or an average hitter. Obviously, you see my age. I never saw Ted Williams play. But I'm also a historian. My dad was a baseball coach, and I kind of grew up around the sport. They used to say Ted Williams tried to count the seams on a baseball as it's coming into the plate. They used to say Ted Williams could smell the smoke of the ball and the friction hitting the bat. Ted Williams was the – He was a pioneer of spin rate and, you know, breaking down strike zones. And before any of the technology was available for him, he did it all in his mind. So when you bring that comp of Ted Williams to anyone, the baseball historian has to be like, that doesn't sit well. Kyle Tucker to me may never hit 320 or 330. That's fine. Heck, he hit 268 last year. Um, I can live with that. Nine homers and eight stolen bases. You're looking at a 2525 guy here as a floor with potential. For a lot more. He kind of got passed over. With uh, Alvarez. And. You know he came up a little early. There's a hole in his swing. You could see that pitchers were getting him out. Or excuse me up and in on hard stuff. and, And he had a hard time adjusting to it. Well give the guy credit. He's done that. I look like, excuse me, I feel like 30-30 is going to be pretty reasonable for this guy who is going to be the cornerstone of that offense, this next generation Houston Astros offense. It's going to be him and Jordan Alvarez as the cornerstone of that offense moving forward. So you're talking about a three hitter because Alvarez will hit four who's going to steal bases, who's going to score a ton of runs, and it could happen as soon as this year. I love Kyle Tucker, and I feel like – let me try to bring this up real quick. He's being severely undervalued. Uh, We're talking about maybe as soon as next year, this guy being a first-round pick. Because if we're just being honest, you can narrow down the list of guys who have 25-25 potential with plus batting average to about that many, three. He would be four. That's the type of guy you're looking for. Now, he's already getting a lot of love. 37.6 is his ADP. If he repeats what he was on track to do last year, this year, you're talking about a first-round pick. To me, that 37 is a value, given the trajectory of where he's going. Still young, 20, 24 years old. I love Kyle Tucker. I love Kyle Tucker more at that price. Whit Merrifield. This is a guy – I've liked Whitley for a long time. i got to be honest, initially this year I was kind of off Merrifield. 31 years old, that's always kind of the indicator, right? Um, But I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He had a hell of a year last year, and I don't see any signs of that letting up. So it looks like he's going to be lined up as the everyday right fielder this year. Hit 282 last year with nine homers and 12 stolen bases. So projected out 27 and 36. That's really good. He's dedicated himself to running more this year. He wants to be more aggressive on the base pack. Ding, 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 ding. That's when the indicators go up, guys. That's when you listen. You're talking about a guy who's projected in the high 30 stolen bases wanting to run more. And you're talking about a guy you can get in the fourth round, 42.6 ADP. At that point, I don't give a flip about his age. He's still capable. And he's got a a track record of doing it. A short-term track record of doing it as well. Ran a lot last year in a short season. They've added firepower to that offense. Andrew Benatendi. Carlos Santana. They've got a, a ton of young talent on the doorstep. Got to love what Witt's got coming up this year. And in the fourth round, I feel like, again, if you're attacking these categories and you need stolen bases, why take the empty stolen bases later on in the draft? Why not target a guy like Whit, Mer- Whit Merrifield? Tom out. I want to talk about two more players because I love these guys. And the more I read about them, the more I love them. Um, and I actually, I take it, I took both of these players – um, In my home draft, I'm really happy to have them on uh, Chaps Fear and Arrogance. The first guy, Austin Meadows, 26 years old, former pirate. Saw him play multiple times over here at Victory Field in Indianapolis. Give it away to Chris Archer Trade. I won't dwell. So, so he had COVID last year, fairly well documented. Uh, he also had an oblique strain, really affected his output last year. But he didn't use an excuse. He didn't use it as an excuse at all. He used this as an opportunity to get better, and that's what you want, especially from someone who's still. Just a kid at 25 years old. Last year, 205, four homers, two stolen bases, 296 OBP. I love this kid's work ethic. I, I so I started researching this guy. He comes into camp. This is kind of weird. So. In shape. He's lost like 20 pounds. They didn't put a number on it. He's lost quite a bit of weight. Some of that is directly from the COVID. So I guess he lost his sense of smell and taste when he got infected. And it's still not right, he said. But the other part of it is drive. He wanted to lose the weight. He wanted to lose the weight to be a better baseball player. And, And it's funny because what he started talking about, when he lost the weight what he was able to do better he talked about his athleticism in the batter's box and i thought that was really interesting it's really interesting because you don't hear that a whole lot athleticism inside the batter's box what are you talking about austin well he went on he went on to talk about it he went on to talk about like you know back in 20 even 2019 when he had a great season Um, He would – he'd hit the ball the other way, but it wasn't out of, like, want or desire to. It was out of – he was slower. And he was late. They were talking about him the other night after, I think it was a spring training game, going into the batting cage and attacking the ball the other way. So going there – purposefully, not slow, deliberate, and crisp. Guys, to me, that's hella scary because you're talking about a guy who's one year removed from a 291, 33, 83, 87, 12 stat line. 33 homers, 83 runs, 87 RBIs, 12 stolen bases. And he's in better shape. He's a better hitter. Austin Meadows, to me, could be a league winner. He could be the steal of the draft. Here's the thing about Austin Meadows. ADP 93, guys. 93. And I could easily see him be a second or third round pick next year. It's certainly not out of the possibility of him being a first-round He could be mentioned in that same category with Soto and Acuna. I mean, he's again, he's 25 years old. The stolen bases, to me, and the high batting average make him very desirable. Yes, you have to project just a little bit with him because of what happened last year. But when you can look and pinpoint something – this is why he was struggling. This COVID, this oblique strain was why he struggled. I think it's honorable he didn't complain about. It. I think we as fantasy owners owe it to ourselves to go out and do that little extra research. Austin awesome Meadows to me at 93 is an absolute steal. Steal. And I'm not going to tell you where I drafted him. I don't, first off, I don't have it written down. I could get it pretty easily. Um, but I'm not going to tell you where I drafted. It was much higher than 93, and I'm fine with that because the upside and the guys that were getting drafted, Meadows was the better player. One last guy in particular I want to talk about, and we're going to talk a lot more about this at 10 o'clock, so make sure to come back at 10 o'clock. Join Chappie and RC, the other angle. You can find us on iLogic Media. You can find us on draft for upside That's on YouTube. That's on uh, Facebook. That's on, I don't know, Twitch and Stitcher and all kinds of crap. I don't know. Spotify and iTunes. All kinds of great stuff. Good things going on at draft for upside Thanks to Jonathan Cole, for Mark Embry, for all you guys do for this. I really do appreciate it. Trent Grisham. I got Trent Grisham last night. I was ecstatic about this guy. And I'll tell you where it started. I drafted Joe Musgrove in my um, first league. And so happy to get Big Joe. Again, Pirates fan, Cubs fan. Musgrove was so good in Pittsburgh, and they just didn't have much to put around him. I'm so excited for him in San Diego. But they interviewed him after his outing the other day, and, you know, he was talking about, first off, how elated he was to be on a team that wanted to win. I thought that was funny and sad. But then he talked about, like, it's good being out there with a bunch of folks who also are on the same skill level that you are on, right? And he talked about – he went right to Trent Grisham. He talked about how good of a leadoff hitter Grisham was. And how he worked the count, and he had a great approach. And, again, in this league, I'm talking about an OBP and total base league. Christian's 24 years old, guys. 24 years old. 352 OBP last year. And – I guess the other night, he was ticked off at an umpire because they he called, they, the umpire called some ball strikes, and he stayed after the game to kind of just talk over what the umpire saw because he was certain that those strikes were balls. So this is a guy who understands the strike zone, understands what he's looking for, and then you throw it. He's a 96th percentile speed um. Whatever baseball savant calls it, the speed aspect. 96th percentile is Trent Grisham. Hitting a top. <laughs> Hitting a top. Maybe the best lineup in baseball. He has five walks and 10 at bats in spring already, 11 spring at bats. He's got five walks already. Trey Grisham this time next year could be a first-round pick. And I don't say that lightly. You're talking about a guy who really is just getting comfortable. I, I say that. Obviously, he's already comfortable. A 3.52 OBP screams, I'm comfortable, even as a 23-year-old. Ten stolen bases last year. Projects out to 30, give or take. You're talking about a 30-30 projection, just off of what he did last year. And I understand it's a little bit presumptuous. What if it's not? What if it's not, guys? I can live with 251. If you're going to give me a 352 OBP. If you're going to walk. And and then steal on top of that, right? Uh, To me, Trent Grisham has some of the biggest potential of any of these mid-tier players because I could see a scenario where his batting average could raise 20 to 30 points. That 30-30 projection could become 40-40 pretty easily. And the OPP, if he's truly talking about being that disciplined at the plate, could balloon from a 352 – to around a 400, which puts you in top 10 in the league category. I love Trent Grisham. I certainly love him. At 68.8. Guys, as always, this hour flies by. Chess Fantasy Chats brought to you on Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. Draft for Upside is the family iLogic Media is the media. I hope you enjoy the content. If you enjoy the content, please go like and subscribe. Find me on Twitter at Chaps Fantasy Chat. Find me on Facebook, Chaps Fantasy Sports Group. Draft for Upside. Support all the great shows and podcasts going on there. Come back at 10. We're going to talk a lot of NCAA basketball. We're going to preview we got a big Sunday show coming up. Selection Selection Sunday show. Come back and join us as you're watching these brackets unfold. We'll be talking about it right here on Draft for Upside. Next week I'll talk about pitchers. Hope you guys enjoy your draft. <laughs> Thanks for your support. See you next Thursday, but come back at 10. Come back at 10. We're going to talk about this draft. Take care. All. Go Mounties.